This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand-new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. This is, this is just a really cool new technology that brewers want to understand. The fact that it doesn't produce THP, it's very neutral. You know, it produces consistent lactic acid at a consistent period of time. This week on the show, bioengineered lactic acid producing Saccharomyces cerevisiae. Hi, uh, my name is Molly. I'm with Lalaman Brewing. I'm the East Coast Technical Representative. Hi, my name is Eric Abbott. I'm the Global Technical Advisor for Lalaman Brewing and Technical Sales Manager for Canada. Hi, I'm Chaz Rice. I'm a uh, research scientist at uh, Mascoma LLC, which is a um, affiliated with Lalaman as a as a corporate R&D facility. You've released a very interesting product that brewers can use to produce clean sour beers. Tell us what that is and how this project came about. So Sour Vicia came about, I think, um, uh, two or three years ago. We started working on um, developing some uh, bioengineered brewing yeast, um, just kind of playing around. Uh, Mascoma mainly does um, biofuel-related projects, but since we became integrated with Lalaman back in 2014, we've kind of slowly, you know, tried to apply our expertise to other um, markets, other um, sort of um, business units within Lalamond. And the brewing group very quickly was interested in, you know, just sort of dabbling and seeing what we could do, what we could offer, um, knowing that, you know, at the time there wasn't a lot of GMO products out into the industry. Um, so, you know, we started kind of working on some various pro- uh, projects. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we quickly started working on was kind of flavors. We sort of thought if we're going to get into the market, maybe we need to start thinking about, um, you know, something that's a little bit more um, kind of in your face, um, something that a consumer can taste, uh, a brewer c- um, can, can utilize uh, very easily to improve their process. Um, so, you know, we actually had sort of uh, a kind of brainstorming session and we had, um, a, uh, a person at Mascoma, um, Brooks, who, you know, was kind of in the sour beers and he suggested, oh, well, you know what, we could probably make a yeast that makes, that makes lactic acid. And 
we all kind of like, yeah, that's a good idea. And then, you know, you know, within the year we just started doing it and we started making it and then um, started making beer with it and, you know, giving it to people and people, you know, kind of hit you over the head with that sour flavor. And people thought, hey, this is actually interesting. And it just kind of coincided with this, this sour boom that was going on in the craft industry. Um, so we started, you know, the brewing group was interested in, in kind of doing some, some trials with it. And so that's kind of how it um, all materialized. It was literally just kind of, you know, a little brainstorm session and someone had a good idea and we just sort of applied it. Um, into the lab. Very cool. So now there are already some sac yeasts that are capable of producing lactic acid, but my understanding is that most of, or maybe all of those come with other downsides. Is that why you ended up engineering this strain? Yeah, I think that's, a, that's exactly right. Um, you know, we tried to look at the sort of the pros and cons of the products that are already out there. And, um, you know, between sort of wild fermentations, um, between kettle souring, they all have their own pros and cons in terms of, you know, kind of creating unique pr flavor profiles, um, whether you're looking for something from a wild yeast, for example, or something from a bacteria, they're going to produce other metabolites that add flavor. Um, but I think the, the one thing we sort of noticed, uh, or we sort of put the pieces of the puzzle together is that, you know, one of the things that's very difficult to do with wild firms is get consistent product. Um, and oftentimes you don't get the sort of lever level of sourness that you might want for a certain style. Um, so that's where we looked at, at sour vicier and, and engineering this ale yeast that, you know, produces pretty high levels of lactic. So you get a, you know, a more controllable um, sort of lactic concentration uh, perceived sourness, but you also get cleaner flavors if that's what you're going for. So, you know, uh, Britannomyces, Lachantia, um, Lactobacillus, they all make you know, decent levels of lactic acid, but they also make all these other metabolites that add to flavors as has been well noted. So I think for, for what we were targeting, we were looking for, you know, that kind of clean sour that enables brewers a lot more flexibility in, in their brewing process. What can you tell us about the genetic modification that was engineered? Yeah, it's a, um, so it's a very simple modification. Um, we essentially just introduced one gene, um, which is a lactate dehydrogenase gene um, from a food microorganism. And so this is a, a microbe that is used common, commonly in, um, in pickling and fermentation-based products. So we, we basically took that gene um, and introduced it into our, our brewing strain, uh, which, is, which is a typical ale yeast. And um, it's just just one single gene, one single modification under under the strength of a pretty strong promoter. Uh, the promoter is basically what kind of drives expression of, of this gene, so it kind of controls how much of this protein that you get. And the lactate dehydrogenase essentially um, converts um, one of the intermediates in glycolysis um, and converts it into lactic acid. So it kind of directly competes with ethanol. So that's one of the things we've noticed with the product is you get kind of a slight drop in ethanol that goes towards the lactic. But, um, uh, yeah, it's a very simple pathway. I mean, it wasn't uh, a lot of over-engineering. Um, it was literally just this one gene. And was this done using CRISPR-Cas9 or some other technology? Yeah, it was not, not with CRISPR. Um, you know, we do have CRISPR in-house here. Um, we tend to only need to use it if it's more of a complicated organism to engineer. Um, you know, we, Mascoma has, has been working with yeasts for, for quite some time, and we have these other methods that are just as robust in terms of, of uh, engineering a, a yeast strain. So we, we actually just use kind of normal, um, 
uh, yeast homologous recombination, which is basically a method in which you introduce sequences that have kind of similarities to each other, um, and the yeast will essentially stitch them together. Uh, and if you put enough similarity to a, a chromosomal location, it'll actually take that sequence and integrate it into the chromosome as well. Um, so it's a pretty common technique um, that's been used in the industry for years. Um, the CRISPR is, is definitely a, a, a nice tool, and it enables you to, to um, you know, like I said, engineer some strains that aren't very good at this homologous recombination. Uh, but the nice thing about uh, yeast is that they're, they're very simple to engineer. Um, so for, th for this product in particular, we didn't actually have to use that tool. If you recall from episode uh, 84, we heard from Charles Demby, who engineered brewer's yeast to produce hop compounds like linalool and geraniol. I remember that it was one thing for him to splice in the genes from mint and basil to produce those compounds, but an entirely different animal to modulate the production of those compounds to the desired level. Was modulation of lactic acid production a challenge for you during this project? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, when we first started, we we definitely we t we took that one gene, the LDH, and um, we screened a few others as well. Um, the one that we picked always seemed to function well in in our background. In terms of sometimes when you overexpress kind of heterologous proteins or foreign proteins, yeast don't tend to love that so much, and so you kind of take a hit in other areas where maybe the yeast doesn't grow as well, doesn't ferment at the same rate as say the parent did. Um, so we kind of screened through those and picked a, an LDH that, you know, the yeast didn't mind making. Um, and then for there, we basically uh, expressed it with a number of different promoters. So the promoters, as I mentioned earlier, will kind of, you know, modulate the expression of, of, of a gene. And so if you use a really strong one, you basically make a lot of this LDH and therefore you make a lot of lactic acid. So we had kind of a range of different promoters that we had tried. Um, and this was the Sarvisier we ended up choosing was one of the higher end um, in terms of making a lot of lactic. And we decided to go with the strain um, initially as a proof of concept, thinking that, you know, it gives brewers more flexibility in what they can do with it. So instead of having a strain that produces a little bit of sour, you know, maybe more in line with kind of what a, a, a wild yeast might make, um, you know, we sort of thought, well, that already exists. There's a wild yeast out there that, you know, makes this level of lactic. You know, we wanted to provide something that gave brewers a little bit more flexibility. So we t decided to go with the higher end um, that, you know, enables brewers to then take it and do uh, blending if they like, um, do co-culturing. And they know that they're going to get sort of a very high level um, right off the bat. Um, and so it gives them the, the ability to sort of modulate the, the lactic levels. Cool. Yeah, let's talk about that more because your press release mentioned that the level of acidity produced by sour VCA is easily controlled either by blending the yeast with another strain or alter alternatively by blending the final beer. Can you give us some guidelines for this? How much acidity can we expect without blending and how much blending do you recommend when mild acidity is desired? So without blending, we have seen... Uh the pH pretty much drop out. The lowest we've kind of seen is 2.8, but it generally is around 3, 3.1, uh, with TA levels around um, 1.2. So it, it pretty regularly can, I mean, just straight sour VCA will produce around 12 grams per, per milliliter. Is that right, Chaz? A lactic? It's uh, grams per liter. Grams per liter. Yeah, I was like yeah. thinking grams per liter and then kind yeah. of going, wait, that doesn't sound right. Um, so yeah, that, that pretty is 
that's pretty consistent. Um, with blending, it just depends. Uh, we do recommend blending versus co-pitching. Just co-pitching could be kind of difficult to evaluate when uh, to get the pH to where you want it or the TA level to where you want it to be. Um, so with blending, it just, you know, that's kind of up to brewer's preference. I don't mind it straight. Uh, I think the straight sour ECA just tastes really clean and really wonderful. And it's it's really interesting to have it with different fruit additions uh, as well. So I know there's some breweries that are um, just, uh, they're analyzing the, the beer with the different types of fruit acids. And that creates a really nice complex and uh really balanced uh from what i've tasted uh beer so so are most people using it straight rather than um pitching a blend or or blending the the final beer i think most people are using it straight there are some that are blending um it kind of just depends what they want uh the ones that i have had have been mostly straight um just straight sour VCA, yeah. Coming up. It's very interesting that it makes no THP, which you see a lot in kettle sour beers. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. Support for this podcast is brought to you by ABS Commercial is a full-service brewery and parts outfitter. From our Raleigh headquarters to our Denver office, we proudly offer brew houses and fermenters from three barrels and up, yeast brinks, boilers, kegs, chillers, tri-clamp, and other stainless parts, all with the quickest delivery and lead times in the industry. Learn more at abs-commercial.com or call 877-BREW-ABS. ABS Commercial. We are brewers. Additional support provided by Bring the world to your brew house with BSG's diverse selection of ingredients and services. Our dedicated customer service team and industry experience provides you with the assistance you need every step of the way. Make BSG your supplier of choice with products essential to making great artisanal beverages so you can stay focused on your craft. Visit us at bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact us at 1-800-374-2739. Here's what's coming up on the Master Brewer's calendar. District Rocky Mountain meets at Breckenridge Brewery in Littleton November 12th. District St. Paul Minneapolis meets at the Raw Malting Beer Stube November 14th. District Milwaukee meets at Milwaukee Brewing Company November 21st. District St. Louis meets November 21st. District Northern California meets at Sudwork Brewing in Davis November 21st. District Midwest meets at Great Lakes Brewing November 23rd. District Eastern Canada meets in Montreal November 28th, and the District St. Louis Annual Holiday Party is December 6th. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you.
now back to the show. Do you guys want to talk about how parameters like fermentation temperature, pitch rate, wort aeration, etc. might affect lactic acid production in sour VCA beers? One way you can think about it is that the, the lactic is, is sort of directly related to the alcohol, um, right? Because as, as, you know, we, we've talked about the, the lactic dehydrogenase is uh, lactic LDH is, is, um, comes off of the glycolysis pathway, um, which is where ethanol comes from. So, you know, you're, you're really, the parameters are more set based on your sort of sugar contents. You're kind of starting wort. Um, gravity um, so you know more or less you know just like any other process parameter um, you know how much alcohol you get um, is is more about the starting sugars versus aeration or pitch rate okay that makes sense and let's talk about that a little bit more too because your the sour vca press release mentions that the amount of residual sugar in the finished beer is lower than the final density would imply talk about that so uh, I can take that one. Um, yeah, so basically, um, the sugar in the wort is being converted into both ethanol and lactic acid. Um, some of the sugar that would have normally been converted into ethanol and CO2 in a regular normal fermentation, some of that sugar is being diverted into lactic acid. And when lactic acid is produced, uh, no CO2 is lost. So because there's not a corresponding loss of mass, related to CO2 loss, the, when, when the lactic acid is produced, the density stays the same. Um, so if you have a higher final density when using sour vizier compared to a normal brewing yeast, that doesn't necessarily imply that there is a higher amount of residual sugar. The sugar might be just as low as it would have been with a regular brewing yeast fermentation. Um, but instead of the, the sugar being converted into CO2, resulting in a loss of density, it's converted into lactic acid. All right, got it. In, in Lallemont does not recommend repitching this yeast. Why is that? It's just the sheer amount of lactic acid that's produced. It makes it pretty difficult to repitch um, from what we've seen in the trials um that being said there are some breweries out there that are uh are able to prop this yeast up so as to extend um instead of extending the generational life cycle you're extending the biomass of it yeah so in terms of repitching then just keep in mind the the levels of lactic acid that are produced by sour vz are, are quite high uh, a lot of uh, lower to mid-range sour beers are between 0.2 and 0.5 or up to 0.6% lactic acid. Uh, sour Vizier will produce above 1% lactic acid. So uh, while you can use it straight, uh, for it is a quite sour beer, and that acid does become a stress to the yeast when you get to those high levels. Um, and at that point, it uh, becomes dependent on the, the wort, um, the nutrition, of your wort and whether that yeast will be viable for repitch or not. Generally, from very extreme beers, whether it's high gravity, high alcohol, highly bitter beers, we don't necessarily recommend repitching or reusing that yeast. It's the same case for sour vizier. 
Let's hear about some of the trials you've done with commercial brewers. Yeah, so we did 12 different brewery trials uh, between medium, small to medium to large size breweries. Um, the smallest trial was about one barrel. The largest was about just up to 60 barrels um, and many different types of beer um, from Goza's to Pilsner's um, to Berliner's. Uh, I think we had uh, a New England style in there, an IPA style. Um, and on average, the final TA that we saw was around 1.2%, and the final pH was around 3.1, um, with over 80% attenuation. Um, and all the breweries, they uh, they found that it performed really well. And uh, one of the things that uh, Cigar City, which was one of the early trialers, noticed, uh, Wayne, in fact, noticed this, he said that it's surprising well not surprising but it, it's very interesting that it makes no thp which you see a lot in kettle sour beers so this goes back to it tastes really clean um it's a very neutral strain um because of this like lack of uh this this production of this lack of this production of this compound um and yeah there were no other all flavors were detected it's also it's a pretty fast fermenter so um you know fermentation it's pretty it's complete in around seven days um yeah there have been some questions about the role of crystal malts limiting the perception of uh, of acidity talk about that Sourvisier produces a very consistent quantity of lactic acid, but your perception of the flavor of that lactic acid depends on the other flavors in the beer, whether it's uh, fruit flavors or sugar. If you use a lot of, um, if you use a lot of crystal malt, or if the um, the mash temperature is higher and you have a, a lot more body in the beer, you will tend to have a lower perceived. Um, flavor of the lactic acid, even though the concentration of lactic acid is relatively consistent. Does the exclusive production of lactic acid during primary fermentation lend to a different perception of a sour beer than either a kettle sour or a more traditionally soured beer? Um, so Sour Bézier will produce um, a single product, lactic acid, whereas um, kettle sour using bacteria uh, it's a more complex metabolism. So other products will be produced as well. And that could be dependent on temperature as well. Uh, for brewers that are not able to control well the fermentation of their kettle sour, you may have off flavors if the, if the temperature uh, deviates into a range that is not optimal for the bacteria. For example, having some uh, phenolic characters that we've seen being produced uh, at suboptimal temperatures. Uh, Vizier is not sensitive to those temperature changes as well. Um, over a much broader temperature range, you will produce only a single lactic acid product, leading to a, a very clean, neutral, sour flavor um, compared to um, compared to a kettle sour. Um, yeah, I think that as you know, for sure, the the uh, the perceived sourness is going to be different. Um, compared to a kettle sour versus a a sarvisier sour. I mean, for one, you know, with kettle souring, your, your pH doesn't tend to drop quite as low as as a sarvisier fermentation will. And so, obviously, there's a balance of of uh, pH and lactic acid concentrations. 
you know, the lower the pH, the more acidic things will will taste. Um, so I think you know from from the the trials, uh, you know, that's one thing we definitely noted is uh, a lot of people were doing kettle souring, you know, getting their pHs to around 3.5, 4.0. But then if they added some fruits to it, then, you know, that, that, that tartness tended to go away because I think, you know, the, uh, the sugar sort of masked a little bit of the sourness. Um, so, you know, th- what they liked about the sour vicier is that the pH dropped even further and it gave them a little more flexibility for, for adjuncts to, to, to blend in uh, without losing too much of that tartness. So it gave them the ability to kind of control that tartness a little bit. Um, and the, and the clean flavor was another aspect that, um, you know, we talked about with the, the THP in particular was noted by a number of, of trials that um, kettle souring lactobacillus um, can make this, this compound in, in small quantities. And, and that was awful, oftentimes a problem for some of their kettle sours where they would get that, that Cheerio cereal type flavor um, in some beers that, you know, they could sometimes get rid of with aging, but other times not. Um, and Sarvisier yeast don't typically make this compound. Um, so, you know, this pr- uh, enabled them to get that, that drop in pH, the lactic acid production to get the high tartness without any of the off flavor metabolites that, that you often get with lactobacillus and, um, but more importantly, it gave them the ability to then control the tartness with some adjuncts that they, they could add in um, with either dry hopping or um, fruit additions um, or blending with a, a sort of a non-sour beer as well. That was um, a big way to kind of control the tartness as well. The acceptance of GMO has been a polarizing topic among consumers, whereas the community of brewers is more science-oriented and therefore more accepting. On episode 84, Charles Denby suggested that perhaps brewers are the best people to be educating consumers about the benefits of this technology. I guess you're banking on that as well, huh? Yeah, I would actually agree with that comment. I think I think uh, brewers are, you know, the craft industry in particular, are constantly experimenting, right? So they're essentially playing science on a daily basis. Um, so, you know, when they get sort of a new tool like Sarvisier or any sort of bioengineered yeast, um, they immediately get excited. It gives them another thing to be able to, to try and to experiment with and to try to pull levers um, throughout the brewing process. Um, so, you know, and I think they've, they've continued to push the limits of flavors and creativity. So, and, you know, based on the boom in, in the craft industry and in the consumer um, you know, perception, I, you know, they're not afraid to try anything, right? I mean, I, I think craft brewers are, are, are just really trying to, to um, you know, have a little bit of shock and awe on some of their products. You know, when you're using pig heads and, you know, elephant fermented coffee beans and, you know, doing barrel aging and, and all these different, you know, trying to incorporate all these different flavor profiles. Uh, and, but, and the consumers aren't afraid to try them. I, I think that's, that sort of points towards bioengineered, you know, I think from a non-GMO perspective, um, you know, that I don't think there's any, um, at least we haven't seen a negative um, impact from, from the consumer side. So I think, you know, as, as Charles had mentioned in terms of, you know, the brewers um, using these bioengineered products and educating the consumer, 
Um, I would absolutely agree with that because um, because for a they're just not afraid to use it. I think that's the biggest thing when it comes comes to it is that there's a more of a negative perception from a, from a marketing standpoint. So in terms of the acceptance of um, bioengineered yeast in in the brewing industry, I've I've seen a huge difference even compared to ten years ago. Ten years ago, I don't think that. Um, well, some brewers were open to it, but I don't think we would have seen such wide, widespread acceptance of this type of technology. In the end, this is another tool in the brewer's toolbox that responds to some clear needs for the brewer related to simplicity, consistency, and saving production time, which in the end is saving money for the brewers. Um, I think the acceptance of this type of top technology is really driven by the fact that it's responding to some basic needs that are important to brewers. That was Molly Browning, Eric Abbott, and Chaz Rice of Lalaman Brewing here on the Master Brewers Podcast. Check out the brand new Master Brewers Podcast website. You'll find guest profiles, information about upcoming live events, and more all at masterbrewerspodcast.com. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers Podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, ABS, Proximity Malt, and BSG. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers Podcast and that you appreciate their support. Okay.